You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Welcome, every one of you here tonight. Um, it's good to be back. Uh, for some of you, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I survived that nasty COVID. Uh, so uh, one thing, uh, now I'm, uh, I'm trusting uh, the antibodies to fight on my behalf for the future events that might come my way. Uh, anyway, I was given the privilege of uh, introducing uh, Christopher Olson, and uh, our lives intersected uh, almost 30 years ago, and uh, Mara and I were volunteer staff at Teen Challenge in Colfax, Iowa, uh, and that's a long time ago, uh, but uh, Christopher came on staff uh, at, I think, 29 years ago, and uh, so our lives have uh, intersected each other in various ways. And uh, over the course of the years, uh, we've spent some good times together. Two years ago, we went to Columbia with him and his brother, and we were part of the, the per ministry staff uh, for a conference. And uh, I don't know if any of you have done international missions, but it's powerful and life-changing. Changing. Um, excuse me, I'm just a little short of breath. <laughs> Uh, so, so anyway, um, I'll let him introduce more of his life as uh, he feels he should. But uh, please welcome Christopher Olson. Thank you, Bruce. It is a, a blessing to be here, and God is good every moment of every day. There's no shadow of turning with who he is. Aren't you glad that when you go to bed tonight, you don't have to worry about when you wake up in the morning, what's he going to be like? It's like, oh, I don't know. Today, today was okay. It was okay, but man, in the morning, I'm just not sure what I'm going to wake up to. And for some of us who have personalities where we tend to be a little more moody, um, people around us don't always know what they're going to find. It's like, oh, what's, what's he like today? But that is not God. There is no shadow of turning with him. And that would be bad news if God was a bad God. It's like, wow, he's never going to change. He's just bad all the time. No, the fact is he is good from beginning to end. That never ceases. It never changes. He is just good. And so not only that, but every morning when we wake up, are we going, God, I thank you that you are who you say that you are. You are immutable. You are the unchanging, perfect God who is good in everything. But even while you were sleeping, he was cooking up brand new mercy for you all night long so that right when you awake, there's brand new fresh baked mercy for you that day. He's that good of a God. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here because I love being in God's presence. How many enjoy that time of worship? How many are thankful for the worship team leading us? Thank you very much. Um, but I also, I love being with the people of God. And specifically, love being with people that are hungry for God. So here we are on this beautiful summer night, on a Saturday night, where you could be out and about doing a thousand other things, enjoying this beautiful weather. And you've come to this place tonight with what I would assume 
would be hunger for God. And so I want you guys to know that if we're going to gather and we're going to not be out there in this beautiful weather, but we're going to gather in his name, like let's get the most out of it. Let's get everything we can, everything God has for us this weekend, and let's pull on heaven. Let's open up our hearts wide to what God has for us and yield to him and let him do any and everything he wants to do in us and through us. I, by the grace of God, uh, was born to wonderful parents. Uh, my dad's a minister, raised in the church, raised around the things of God. I'm very grateful for my my background in the church. I'm very thankful for that. But I also have to say that I've been in enough church services to know that I don't just want another church service. I want to feast on the goodness of God. I want to live in his manifest presence. I don't want just a little more religious information to go into my head. I want to encounter the reality of the living God. That's how I want to live. And um, so God's graced me with the privilege of traveling different parts of the globe and ministering. And he chose me because he's good. And I wouldn't have picked me, but he picked me. So what can I do? I just go along with the ride and say, okay, Papa, let's run after you and run after your purposes in the nations of the earth. And so um, it, it's always interesting to me, you know, showing up in different places and different settings and different cultures, um, different styles, different ways of doing things. And, um, you know, every culture is unique and different, but... It's the same God, the same Holy Spirit. Here's one of the things that I love about God is God is, God is, I've never gone anywhere and God said, well, these people are a little more reserved, so we got to be careful here. I never went anywhere and said, and I, I never heard God say, well, I'm the healer, but I really don't want to heal in this context. I've never been anywhere where he's like, oh, there's a, they are assemblies of God. I really want to touch them as opposed to the Baptists or something. No, God, God's not like that. Ministering in the context of the Foursquare Church or independent churches, whatever it was. I, I just was recently ministering in Alaska in this little church on this little village on a little island. Um, basically, it's like a, a beautiful log church. I mean, it, it, to me, it looked like I, I, the first time I saw it, it was like, wow, little house in the prairie or something. I mean, you're so far removed from civilization. And it's this little church that it's non-denominational because there's so few people in town that they're like, well, if, we, if everyone had their own denomination according to their background, like we'd have like 12 different churches and there'd only be one person apiece. So we can't do that. So let's put our differences aside and let's just have one church because we're so tiny and let's just focus on the main thing. And so in spite of that, they invited me two years ago to come minister on the Holy Spirit. Like, wow, I don't know why you did that. But, um, but God broke in in a powerful way um, that weekend. And um, <clears throat> the last night, the Spirit of God just came and there was a, before the service, the Lord told me about the first person that I needed to pray for. And it was this gal who was, I think, like late 20s, maybe just right around 30. She had just recently started coming to the church, had no church background at all. This 
particular church was not used to really the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, she certainly wasn't accustomed to that, let alone just anything to do with church. She was like really brand new. And uh, the Lord told me to pray for her first. And so I went and prayed for her. And eventually after some prayer, she fell out in the middle aisle. Again, that's not necessary, but it happened. And so they never had anything like that happen. Eventually prayed for some other people, and a lot of the, the young kids got touched. I mean, these young boys, like 10, 12, probably right around 10, 12, 13 years old, right in that range, just weeping and sobbing in the presence of God. Now, you know you can't manufacture that. There's nothing I can do. Like, I, that's God. For these young kids, there was no nothing dramatic going on. There was no background music. It was just God touching their hearts. And eventually later, some of them receiving their prayer language. Um, and it was just beautiful to see. And eventually, I had to go and leave that night uh, to get um, packed and fly out very early in the morning for my first of like 486 flights to get back to Iowa. It seemed like it anyways. Um, first of several flights. And so I walked out, and she saw on the floor. And they're like, later on, they're like, well, you know, we're a small village, and so we're just going to go home, and she can leave whenever she's ready. So they just left her on the floor. She was laid on the floor for somewhere between two to three hours. I found out this in the, in the few days later. She was on the floor for two to three hours, and her description of what happened was something along these lines. See, because all we could see externally was she's lying on the floor, and every now and then you might hear a little bit of crying, you, through that time frame, there might have been just a little bit of laughter. But for the most part, she just laid there still on the floor. That's just the external perception that we have as human beings. That's all we can see. But these are her words is that she said it's as if the, the hand of God reached inside of her and pulled out a demon of hate that she had toward the people that abused her when she was a little girl. How many know that that's a really good God to do that? And there's no human that can make that happen. It's just the goodness and mercy of God. I didn't know what happened to her when she was little. I didn't know what happened. I, I didn't know what she was having to process through. I didn't know about any forgiveness she needed to embrace. All I know is God said, I want you to make sure that she's the first person you prayed for. He's such an extravagant God. He's so good. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit that he's really good at multitasking. That, you know, you, you ladies are amazing. A lot of times you're really good at doing that. I, I've discovered one thing. I can't talk on my cell phone and, and go to the grocery store and buy anything at the same time. I mean, I just get lost. I can't focus. I'm either on the conversation or I'm buying what I need to get, but I can't do both. And I think God, there's grace upon you women as mamas to be able to do a thousand things at once. But us men, we, we struggle more with that multitasking thing. And But the Holy Spirit is bigger than any ministry or any man. He knows exactly where we're at and what we need. And he can weave his way into our hearts and give us exactly what we need. Regardless of who's speaking, regardless of what songs are being sung, the Holy Spirit knows right where we're at. 
and he can transcend human words by someone with a microphone and he can get exactly into our heart exactly what we need. He's really, really good like that. So I am thankful that Psalm 103 is true. That he says that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. I'm so thankful it's not reversed, that he's abounding in anger and slow to love. It's not like that. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. Every moment, every day, you and I are the object of his holy affections. That is amazing. That's really good. I want to share just a few testimonies, um, just some recent things that God's been doing um, before we jump into the word. And as we do that, I, I want you to know, I, wanna, I always think it's good to kind of lay the ground rules. Um, when, if you've ever been in a setting where someone's like, okay, folks, everybody gather up. We're going to play a game. It's like, okay, we're going to play a game. What are, what are we doing here? What, what do we need to do? I said, okay, this is the structure of the game. This is what we're going to do. This is what's expected. Okay, everyone, the goal is to get here and you move the ball and you do this and, and the next person rolls the dice or whatever it is. Okay. Whatever kind of game you're playing. Okay. And what, you need to know the ground rules. What are the guidelines? Okay, so I don't know what's normal in this house because I've never been here. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for the invitation. Um, thank you. It's been just sweet already just today being here with you guys. And of course, I've known Bruce and Mara for years. Love you guys. Appreciate you. I was thinking this afternoon that I think you guys, when I think of you, I think of grace that you guys exude the heart of the Father, that just the grace of God, the way that you guys have adopted people and taken them into the Father's heart, and you've been willing to walk with people in all kinds of seasons of their lives, that when people are looking for an embodiment of grace, they look to you. And I don't know if everybody else recognizes that, but I've seen that consistently for about 30 years. You guys fleshing out the grace of God into people's lives year after year after year. That no matter where they've been or what they're going through, that you guys are going to be an extension of the grace of God. And I just honor you for that and appreciate you guys. Um, sorry, I got sidetracked with them. So... Um, so what, what are the ground rules for this weekend? So I don't know what's normal here, but let me say this. is uh, We have an old friend, uh, John Marquez, who used to share about, and I, I don't know if it was original with him or someone else got it, but just this idea that, um, you know, if, if I were to find out whatever the, the nicest, best steakhouse in Mason City, and I were to take my family, I got four kids, and so we're a family of six, and I were to take them there, and I were to come in and sit down. The waiter brings the menu, and we look at the menu, and we start reading through the different options and what's available to us. And five minutes later, the waiter comes back and says, would you like to order now? And I said, no, we're still looking at the menu. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a few more minutes. Ten minutes later, he comes back, and he says, are you ready to order now? No, that's okay. We're still looking at the menu. 
10 minutes later, he's getting a little impatient, but he's like, all right, so you guys ready to order now? Uh, No, actually, there's some pictures on this page. These are really nice. 45 minutes later, he's like, have you made your choice yet? No, thank you. We are still studying this menu in the original Greek and Hebrew. It's amazing. This is a phenomenal menu. It's glorious. Woo! Kids, look at this. It's awesome. Finally, an hour and a half later, he comes back exhausted, wondering what's going on. And we, we fold up the, the, the menu and we hand it back to him and say, thank you. This has been amazing. We are so grateful for this time. Come on, family. Let's go home. And we all go home. Do you think I would be satisfied with that? No, I'd be hungry. I'm smelling all that steak and then you're still hungry. You haven't eaten. My family would be disappointed, irritated, frustrated with me. A menu is a powerful tool, but it's supposed to lead you to the feast. It just shows you what's available. The word of God is powerful. We need the word of God. We're going to jump into it in just a moment. We need the power of the word of God. We need to see what God has made available to us in Christ. What's available on the menu. But the goal, as powerful as the word is, it's not sufficient to just study the word. That studying of the word is to lead us to this glorious invitation to feast on the goodness of God and to live in the fullness of everything Jesus died to give us. Does that make sense? So here's the ground rules. You get to receive at any moment, any time, right where you're at, regardless of what's happening in the room. Like You don't have to wait for somebody at the end to lay hands on you. You don't have to wait for somebody to give you a word. You don't have to wait for anything else to happen. You are a child of God. And right where you're sitting, you get to just begin to receive from the Holy Spirit, who is amazing at multitasking and he's omnipresent. You get to receive from him right now where you're at. Whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that the Father wants to give you. He's extravagantly good, and you get to receive right where you're at. So, those are the ground rules. And I love it when God does that. I love it when God begins to touch people, and you don't have to wait for the end, okay? Now we are going to transition to official ministry time. That's not bad, but wow, we get to see that God has made himself very, very available to us at all times. So, real quick, a couple of... um, a couple of testimonies. Um, this is um, no, no particular order. This, it's a little bit random. Um, but these are just some that I, I picked from recent events. Um, several months ago, I was ministering in Ohio. And the presence of God was there in a beautiful way. And we had a time of communion. And as I was sharing with them about the Lord's Supper, I was saying how Jesus paid the price for our healing by his stripes we were healed. And just telling them, hey, I, I think we need to have an expectation that God wants to heal in the midst of, of communion. So this lady afterwards in the hallway grabbed me and she said, hey, I want to share something with you. And I don't know the time frame, but I think it was for a number of months at least that she had had this cyst that was on her arm. And she said, all I know is that when we got done taking the communion elements, I looked down on my arm and the cyst, after all those months at least, was suddenly gone, disappeared. I like that. See, I love the laying on of hands and I love the prayer of faith. It's all good. It's all biblical. It's awesome. 
But I really like it when God transcends that and just says, as you follow this biblical pattern of taking the Lord's Supper, I'm just going to break in and heal you without anyone praying for you. I like that. I don't know about you, but that, that gets me stoked. Um, so also, uh, I think it was that same weekend, um, I invited people to come up front and just step into God's presence. Um, it's just something that God laid on my heart for that particular service, that they were going to come into his presence as they came up front. And this young lady, this teenage gal, she comes up front. And I was hugging people as they were coming up front. Because I not only believe in the laying on of hands, I also believe in the laying on of hugs. And so this, this, this girl was coming up front. And so I was hugging people as they came. And in this particular case, I hugged this girl. And after a few moments of embracing her with the Father's love, bam, she falls out on the floor. Again, not necessary, but God can do that if he wants. And apparently he found it necessary to do that with her. Later out on the floor, sometime later, she got up off the floor, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. I like that because it's, that is not the formula that I would pick to see someone baptized in the Holy Spirit. Give them a hug and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like that, you can't reduce that to a formula. But I love how God is big, bigger than our religious formulas. And he just moves in extravagant ways. Um, also, uh, just recently at our church, um, I got this testimony from a gal where she was saying how I was on the other side of the sanctuary ministering uh, to some people on the other side. And uh, this was her comment. She said, and as you were making those funny sounds, those funny noises that you make, um, and uh, those were her words. Um, I won't even try to explain that. But she said, as you were doing that, she said something like popped in my ear. And she said, I have dealt with a ringing in my ears for years. And recently, in recent months, the ringing has been getting worse and worse and worse. But in just a split second, the ringing completely left my ears and God healed me. I think that's really, really awesome. Again, we believe in the laying on of hands, praying by faith. But in that moment, it was just the atmosphere of God's presence. And he came down and healed a woman who in that moment was not, that I know of, wasn't asking for healing. Nobody was praying for healing in that moment, but God was in the room and he just came in and healed her. I really like that. That's my father. He's that good. Um, there's a, there, I ran into a couple of guys, uh, one from, from our church and a guy just last weekend in another state who talked about how they've been reading my book and just encountering God in their home. Um, so, I, we got a book table out there um, with one book that I wrote. We have it both in English and Spanish, a couple of books that my wife has written, and even a couple from my kids uh, that they've written as well. And, um, but it, is, it has just been so encouraging to see God taking this book, Come On Into Papa's Presence, which is really a mixture of, of testimonies, of encounters with the Lord, and biblical principles, a look at scripture of who the Father is and how he invites us to live a lifestyle in his presence and to see how those testimonies have been replicated. So what, I'm hear, what I've been hearing from people um, really in different parts of the world is how they read that book 
And the same presence that I'm describing in the book of how, I, how the Lord's encountered me over the years, that same presence begins to fall on them in their own living room. And uh, it's just been very humbling and, and very exciting to see, to hear those testimonies. Um, la, no, two weeks ago, <clears throat> I was in Atumwa. And um, just God was doing a lot of neat stuff. It was really awesome. But one thing was um, prayed for a, a teenage girl. She falls out under the power. She was down for about an hour. And uh, later on, now, she was still on the floor when I had to leave. But I was told in the following days that she said, um, basically, God set her free from some demonic bondage and how she testified at her church the next morning that God just like cleaned her out and put her back together again. Um, it was something like that. And just this joyful expression of freedom coming into her life. And uh, again, I wasn't going around, oh, deliverance ministry, I'm trying to, it's just Holy Spirit, we love you. We love your presence, we love you, Father. Would you just come and just blanket people with your holy, loving presence, would you come with the love of the Father and just land on people, and you do whatever you want to do. He's really, really good to do that. So um, there was a, a guy last weekend in, uh, in Illinois. It was really fun. I felt like um, there was somebody who felt a burning sensation in them, and uh, I said, man, if you feel something burning in you, I want you to come up front. So this guy, probably late 20s, around 30 years old, he comes up front. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, um, my knee's been really messed up for, it was at least several days, maybe a few weeks. And he said, hey, it's been very difficult to walk. I believe the cartilage um, was messed up. And he was like, I think what he was saying was he was bone on bone. And uh, he said, all of a sudden, I felt something burning right here. I said, well, let's pray for it. So I prayed over his knee, and I said, check it out and see what you can do. And as I went to pray for the next person while he's checking out, he bends down, and he starts, he's like, oh, my gosh, I don't feel anything. It's gone. And then he just starts jumping up and down. I won't even try to show you what he was doing. I mean, jumping up and down like a wild man, shouting, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It was, it was wild, and it was fun. Um, you don't always get that expression from people, but that one, that one was fun. So um, there's, uh, yeah. So I think I'll end it with this, um, and then we'll get into Colossians. Is um, last year, I had the privilege of going back and ministering, doing a chapel service at Teen Challenge um, down in Tennessee, where I worked years ago. And this particular teen challenge, they have both men and women there. And so their backgrounds are, you know, all of them are some kind of abuse, some kind of addiction that's going on, life-controlling problems. Most of them are going to be drugs and alcohol. And so God just showed up and powerfully touched people. And it was beautiful to see. Um, and frankly, um, it, it was beautiful to see what God was doing, but also... It was wild. It was, it was pretty crazy. And um, so toward the end, I said, I want, to, I want to go after healing for anyone who has any pain, sickness, disease in your body that's a result of your sinful choices. And the idea was this, and I explained that, you know, it's one thing to say, God heals, 
How many know it's, it's a whole other thing to say God wants to heal rather than just say, well, he's sovereign, he's powerful, he can. But I say he wants to heal. And then it's a whole other thing to say, okay, God wants to heal those people out there or my neighbor, somebody next to me. God wants to heal her. She's a real saint of God, but God actually wanting to heal me. Now that's a little more specific. But then it's another thing to say, the pain or the sickness, the disease in my body is a direct result or even an indirect result of my sinful choices. I have some kind of disease in my body because of the lifestyle of sin that I lived. And I gave some different examples. Like somebody, they could have pain in their hand because 10 years ago they were in a drunk, drunken brawl and they punched somebody and their hand never did heal right and it's still messed up. Somebody else, their back is still in pain from uh, eight years ago when they were driving under the influence and they got in a car wreck and their back is still messed up from it. Or sexually transmitted diseases. The list goes on. And one of the things I mentioned was hepatitis, which I didn't need a word of knowledge for any of this. It's just the, the environment is, their background, a lot of them uh, have hepatitis because of their drug use. So... Uh, I just said, anyone who has that, I want you to raise your hand. And so we prayed, and uh, like I said, it was awesome. God did a lot of things. But in that moment, you can't tell if somebody has some kind of disease in their blood, whether they're healed. You, know, you, can't, you can't prove that in the moment. It's like you have to get it checked out later. So we finish the meeting and move on, and I get back home. So months later, I get a report from a gal who worked there, Sherry Zinnert. She let me know. She said, hey, I wanted you to know one of the gals, uh, these gals, so the guys are up front, the gals are in the back. I keep them nice and separated. And they're in the back. And they said, um, this gal was quite skeptical of, of everything. And the impression I got from her is she was probably just skeptical of anything of the Lord. Like she just knows, man, my life's a mess from drugs and alcohol. And so I need help. I don't know if God's real. I don't know if he's the solution, but I will go there and see what they can do. Okay, that's the impression I had. At the very least, what she meant was she was skeptical of me and things I was doing and saying. Okay, so she was pretty skeptical about all this. So she certainly didn't have any faith in this meeting, but her thought process was, well, I got hepatitis C, so I'll just lift my hand, whether this is real or not, whether this works, but ah, that's me, I have it. No faith at all. Some months later, she goes back to the doctor, gets a checkup, they test her blood, and the doctor's like, you are completely hep-free. God healed her. Isn't that extravagantly kind of him? To take somebody who's like full of doubt, full of unbelief, they're like, I don't even think he would do that. I'm not, I don't even think I'm gonna candidate for this because I'm not even sure it's real, but I'm just gonna raise my hand. Yeah, that's me. And God breaks in and brings healing to them. I love that. That's the kind of extravagant God that we have. He's really, really merciful and kind. And uh, a few weeks back up in Alaska, the last night there, the joy of the Lord broke out. And I love that. Because how many know we have a joyful God, a joyful Father? Colossians 3.12. Go to 3.12. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to read this. I believe uh, the version I have is the ESV, even though I was told by the pastor this morning it's a King James-only church. 
I don't know if God's convicted him of lying yet or not. I'm not sure. We're just praying for that, that for that conviction to come. But anyways, I'm reading out of ESB, and, um, and I'm going to read it to you the way I, uh, years ago, would read this passage. And I'm just giving you a, a quick little snapshot picture into, uh, really into my time of, of reading the word. So we'll start with verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I'd read that and I'm like, man, I feel exhausted just reading the list, let alone trying to live it out. I mean, anybody, has anybody lived out that list today just perfectly fine? I mean, we just read it there. Love one another like Christ has loved you. Like you're willing to die for your brother or sister? Forgive as Christ forgave you. Ooh, man. Sometimes we struggle with forgiveness and we get tunnel vision and we forget how much God has forgiven us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad it wasn't when we finally got our act together, then God said, okay, my grace will be extended to you? There was just, he painted a bullseye for mercy over our hearts. And he sent Jesus to the cross while we were still sinners. And so I read this list and I'm like, put on compassion hearts. Be patient. Anyone ever had toddlers? It says, be patient. I think God gave us toddlers to be one of the primary tools to deal with creating patience in our hearts. I loved that stage when our kids were toddlers because they're so stinking adorable. And I think God was strategic like that because if they weren't so cute and adorable and cuddly, it would be a lot harder. But it's like, ah, oh, they're so stinking cute that stage, okay? So he's talking about bear with one another, these grievances, you know, bear with one another, put up with one another. And I'm like, oh God, this is a tough list to read. And one day I'm reading this and the Lord says, go back and read it again. I'm like, okay, I'll read it again. Verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, humility, meekness, and patience. So read it again. Okay. Put on, God, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and, and, and beloved. Compassionate. And I'm going through this and I'm so focused on the virtues I need to have and the qualities I need to live in and the, the, the characteristics that I need to express in my life. I'm like, God, this is hard. And he said, go back and read it again, but read it slower. So I'm like, okay. Put on then as God's chosen ones holy and dearly loved. And he kept telling me to slow down because he wanted to highlight to me that before he gets in the list of what we need to do or attitudes we need to embrace, he's first given us a description of who we are. And I had to pause and go, wow, God, right here you're saying, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, beloved, 
Paul is saying these qualities, these characteristics that we are to exude in our lives, they come from the reality of who we already are in Christ. And he's saying, as children of God, this is who you are. As God's chosen ones. Holy and dearly loved. One of the things that I feel like the Lord's had me on a journey for some years now is to recognize that I'm not striving to become something I'm not. And sometimes we have a view of the Christian life that way. Like, I'm going to try to be a good Christian. How about living with biblical language that says I've been adopted? I'm in Christ. This is who I am. And I need all of my actions and attitudes to flow out of that reality that's already been settled, that I'm in Christ. So I'm not straining, striving to be something that I'm not. I need to align myself with truth and come into agreement with what the Father says about me and say, thank you, Father. This is who you made me to be. I agree with him and then let these other virtues flow out of that fountain of my identity in Christ. So I want to look at these three terms, these three words that he uses. And I'm going to bounce around with the order a little bit. But he says, he says this, as chosen, holy, and beloved, or dearly loved, some versions say. Let me start out with this one, holy. God is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Right? God is holy. Who's this verse referring to when it says holy? Who? Okay. Are you holy? No, sir. I mean, seriously, are you, are you really holy? What if I were to ask your spouse or someone that you live with, are you holy? What would they say? So yes, God is holy, but this says that we too are holy. Here's what Paul's not saying here, and you too are holy. If you're a senior pastor and you fast once a week and you do these different things, then you'll be considered holy. Is this not addressed to the body of Christ? Does that not include every single one of us, every child of God that this is addressed to? And he declares that we are are not one day, if we strive hard enough, maybe by the time I'm 85 and I got enough discipline in my life, I can consider myself possibly, maybe, holy. No, he just says straight out of the gate, hey, you're in Christ, you're holy. It's who you are. Have you ever looked in the mirror and just said, wow, there's God's holy one. Father, thank you that you've made me holy. If you've never done that, look, uh, just, just for the record, I don't go around doing that all the time, okay? Um, I don't like walk into malls or stores and look in a mirror and go, hey, you're holy. I don't, I don't do that. But we all have a running conversation in our mind. Most of us, here's the thing, we all talk to ourselves. Most of us have the common sense not to do it out loud. Most of us. At least not in public anyways. And 
So we got this running conversation in our head that's already there. We might as well line it up with truth of what God says about us. So here's the thing. Proverbs talks about, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Why is this so important? What I'm talking about that God declares is holy. Why is this important? It's because it is difficult to live a holy life. How many understand we should live in holiness? Holiness is important. It's 2021. It doesn't matter what our culture says. It doesn't matter how many ways they want to distort truth and, and try to overturn God's laws and water down the word of God. God is, has always been holy, is holy, will forever be holy, and we are called to holiness. Okay? Holiness is not optional. God is a holy God, and we are called to live in holy obedience to him. But here's one of the challenges. If you only view yourself as a sinner saved by grace, and that's the only lens through which you view your life, you're like, well, I'm saved by grace, but my nature really hasn't changed. I'm not really holy. If you're still convinced in your heart that your default setting is sin and selfishness, insecurity, woundedness, I'm a victim, I struggle with this, I came from a dysfunctional family, so this is my calling to live in dysfunction. Uh, most of us wouldn't call it a, a calling, but that's, when we get extreme in our thoughts, it's, it's kind of like what we live out and we manifest to go, no, God is holy. He's called me to live holy. But again, he's not calling me to do something that is completely opposite of my nature. He's given me a new nature and that nature is holy. So when he calls me to live holy, he's calling me to just be who I really am. Would Jesus ever commit adultery? No. Does Jesus lie, cheat, and steal? Does he look at pornography? Is Jesus arrogant? Is Jesus a racist? No, none of those things. Well, he's in me and I'm in him. He's now my new identity. I've been wrapped in the life of Christ. And his spirit now lives within me. So when he calls me to holiness, he's calling me to just simply be who he's recreated me in Christ to be. So God is holy, holy, holy. And he's my father. And now I've been given my father's DNA. I got three boys. And unfortunately, they don't have a lot of hair because they got their dad's DNA. Okay? So we pass it on our genes for good or for bad. Okay? And for my poor kids, it's, it's the downside of being my, my offspring, okay? But you and I, we've received the genetic code from the Father. Why do I use language like that? It's not bizarre. It's not new age. It's, not, it's simply biblical. It's, Peter said that we've been made partakers of the divine nature. We've been born again of the divine seed, the divine sperma. The divine seed has been placed within us. We've been born again from above new creations who receive a new nature. So now my default setting is holiness. But here's the thing. If I'm not convinced of it, I'm not going to live in the good of it. 
If, if my mind's not renewed and I'm still convinced that my default setting is a victimized orphan who lives in chaos, who lives in poverty, who lives in bitterness and destruction, in woundedness and sin, who lives in pride, who lives in immorality, if that's what I'm convinced of, my heart's going to keep pulling me that direction because my mind is telling me that's what's normal. Rather than agreeing with God who says your new normal is holiness. The other aspect is simply this. You are the temple of who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of me. So it only makes sense that we would live out holiness. So I want you to just say this with me. You ready? Father, I thank you that you've made me to be holy. Holiness is my nature. Woohoo! You made me to be holy. Thank you that I'm holy. Holiness is my new nature. Thank you, Father. Holiness is not something I strive after to do. It is who I am. And then all of my actions get a flow out of who I am. I've been made holy. You are holy. Matter of fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you want to know what the righteousness of God looks like? What the 2021 version of righteousness looks like? Approximately five foot eight, bald beard and glasses. Now, for some of you, like, well, that's what it means. I don't think I want to be righteous. <laughs> I understand. But if you're in Christ, then that's what that looks like. Because he says, God made him who knew no sin. And a lot of us, that's our view. That's our vision of the gospel. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. He crucified him on the cross. And that is foundational. Thank God that he did that. It, but he doesn't stop there. He says, so that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've been declared righteous from the day you were born again. You are righteous. You are holy. Here's the thing. I understand there's a process of maturity that we tend to call sanctification, but there's a process of maturity that we grow in the things of God and we grow in that holiness, but it doesn't change the fact that, yes, he declares me to be holy. All four of my kids, they are in different stages of maturity, taking on different responsibilities in life, and it brings joy to my heart as a father as they are taking on new responsibility. Our youngest just got a job a few weeks ago. This is good news, okay? This is good. I, I delight in that as a father to see them taking on responsibility. That is good. But how many know it would be really wrong, messed up, and dysfunctional. If, if when all four of them were little, because we, when the fourth one was born, the first one was still four years old for two more weeks. It came rather quick. Okay, so, for like, okay, 
You might be my sons and one daughter. You might be my offspring, but you can't really be called sons and a daughter until you get jobs. When you finally mature and you prove yourself as a faithful offspring, then you can be my sons and then you'll be my daughter. No, look, I delight in the fact when they take responsibility. I like seeing them grow and mature. That is their responsibility to grow and mature. But it doesn't change their identity. They were my, my sons and my daughter from the moment we discovered they were in my wife's belly. And none of that can change their identity. They grow and mature, but it all needs to stem out of that identity. They've been my sons and my daughter from the very beginning. So the process of maturity is important, but that identity of who they are, that was, <laughs> it didn't matter. If they came out of the womb thinking, I don't know if I'm really your child. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm, am I really an Olsen or not? No, they just were. No matter what they thought or felt, they were. And when God says that you are holy, and when he says that you are righteous, I would encourage you just to agree with him quickly. Because the quicker you agree with him, the quicker you can get on down the road to victory and living out your destiny and who God's called you to be. So here's the thing. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But see, truth in and of itself does not set you free. He says, you will know the truth. So only the truth you know will bring that freedom in your life. See, God does all this amazing stuff for you. He can put a billion dollars in your bank account, but if you don't know that it's there, if you don't know that you have access to it, it'll just sit there. It's in your account, but you won't access it. So once you get the revelation, oh my goodness, I have free access to this account. Jesus paid the price. Now suddenly you can get the good of that. Once you have that truth, the truth in and of itself will not set you free, but the truth you know that you are fully convinced of in your heart, that'll bring freedom. That brings freedom. So he says that you're righteous. He says that you're holy. And so I think often in the church, we tend to think of, well, who am I to think that I'm holy? I mean, I'm no Mother Teresa. I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no whatever, fill in the blank with whoever you esteem and just go, man, I'm not them. I'm no, uh, I'm no saint. How many times do we hear that in our, in our culture? I'm no saint. Well, the word saint means a holy one. So it's not humility to disagree with God. Amen. So whether I feel holy, whether I feel righteous, I need to put myself in agreement with what he says. And the quicker I do that, the better off that I am. But here's what's powerful. When I, when I confess with my mouth, Father, thank you that you've made me holy. How many know that different things can pop up in my heart and my mind? Well, if you're really holy, then why this? Well, you say that you're holy, but do you remember that? See, that's a good opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to do a deeper work in my heart. Because when what I'm feeling and the thoughts pop in my mind 
disagree with the confession of my mouth, that's according to scripture, then it gives me opportunity to say, okay, Lord, I'm not fully convinced in my heart. What do we need to do here? And maybe I need to go apologize to somebody. Maybe I just need to have a better understanding how the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. It could be a variety of things, but it gives me opportunity when those, those contradictions to my confession pop up in my heart, now I, I have something that I need to co-labor with Christ on and go, Holy Spirit, you're my counselor, you're my teacher, what's going on here? Is this making sense? How many of you, when we just were thanking God that he's made us holy, how many of you, that was maybe kind of a new thing, to just thank God that, he, that you're holy. Anybody? Is there anybody who, when you said, God, thank you that I'm holy, it was like, gosh, that feels kind of weird. Anybody? Okay. So it's good for us to acknowledge that and go, wow, that felt kind of different. How many of you, it also kind of felt good too. Okay. It should feel good because we're agreeing with truth. But also, hey, if there's something that's disagreeing with that truth that's popping up in my heart, I need to see that for what it is so I can deal with it until there's 100% congruity between what's in my heart, my emotions, and the truth of God's word and what he says about me. Okay, now, the first thing that he says is God's chosen ones. God's chosen ones. Are you a chosen one? Are you? Okay, let's go to, turn over a few pages, go to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, as God's chosen ones. You see, the first thing he starts out with is he says, as God's chosen ones. And then he begins to describe to us the virtues, the approach that we need to have to life and how we need to treat one another. See, it's hard to treat one another in a holy way if you're not convinced you're holy. In this first word, he says, the chosen ones. You have been chosen. So let's look at this Ephesians 1, go to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Wow, what a passage. He chose us in him. So who's he talking about here? He, God the Father, chose us, the body of Christ, collectively as the children of God, and as individuals, he chose us in Christ. So let me ask you, when did you get saved? Did you get saved when you raised your hand in Sunday school class and prayed a prayer? Did you get saved at youth camp? Well, let me ask you this, when did God choose you? Just for clarification, I'm not a Calvinist, and that's okay because neither was Jesus. But I'm just, re I'm, just, I'm just reading this passage, okay? I'm just telling you what the passage says. When were you chosen by the Father? Were you chosen the day you said the sinner's prayer? 
chosen before the founding of Mason City. Chosen before your parents ever had an idea that you would arrive. You were chosen before your grandparents could ever dream of having grandkids. You were chosen by God the Father in his beloved son Jesus before the creation, before the foundation of the world. I don't even know how that's possible. But I don't have to understand it to agree with it. I don't have to figure it all out to see the benefit of it. He said yes to me long before I ever said yes to him. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And we simply reciprocate that love. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And you read just a little bit further down there. He says that we would really screw up and mess up a whole lot, but somehow barely get through the pearly gates. Is that what he says? He says that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. If you've never taken this passage of scripture and meditated on it, I encourage you to do that. These are mysteries we don't fully comprehend, but let me tell you this. These are a few things that I get out of this, this passage. If God shows you, he didn't do it reluctantly. There was nobody convincing God. With God, love doesn't come softly. It's like, well, I've been putting up with her for a long time. Eventually, she finally convinced me to like her. No, it's not like that. If God chose you, it's because he wanted you. See, sometimes we have a, a tendency, I think, in the church to think that, well, God loves me because Jesus died on the cross, and that is not true. Jesus died on the cross because the Father always, always loved you. If the Father chose you, it's not because Jesus was twisting his arm with his sacrifice trying to convince him. It has always been in the Father's heart to love you from the very beginning. And if he chose you, it's because he wanted you. And this is what's amazing to me as I read this passage of scripture. As I read that, I realize there's never been one moment of your entire existence when you've not been wanted. I understand every one of us in this room, we've been through hardships. We have faced rejection from other human beings. But the glory of it is, from the ultimate perspective, from the God of all of eternity, from the ultimate authority figure, is that he chose you because he wanted you. And there's never been one moment of your existence when you've not been wanted. I'm not denying the reality of human rejection and how painful that is. All I'm saying is the acceptance of the Father is a whole lot bigger. It's a whole lot bigger. See, the Lord spoke to me a few years ago. He, he, he said, 
You know, so often we speak in church, we say things like this, your past doesn't define you. It's kind of funny how we never clarify what that is. Like, we just always assume we know what we're talking about. When we say past, it always means negative. Nobody, well, you know, she has a past. Well, yeah, we all do. Like, there's past, there's present, there's future. But for some reason, we always default to the negative. Nobody goes, you know, he has a real past full of abundance and blessing and holiness and obedience. Nobody says that. It's just always, we always think the negative. And so we say things like this in church. Your past does not define you. And I understand what we're saying is that we're, what we're trying to say is your sin doesn't define your value and so forth. And that's true. I get that. That's good. But the Lord spoke to me. He said, your past does define you. The problem is, is you're trying to, the enemy's tried to define your past on when you blew it here and you screwed up there and you messed up in this area and you blew it again in that area. And when you said, I'll never do that again, and you still screwed up. And then even after you got saved and you kept falling into this stuff, and then even ministry, you knew better and you still found yourself going, why do I keep doing that? The enemy's wanting to define you by recent history. As in the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. I won't keep going. And beyond years. That's what the enemy wants to define you by. But that's a small slice of time. He's like, Christopher, your past does define you. But this alone is the past that gets to define you. That I, as the sovereign father of all that is, I chose you to be my son. I've always wanted to adopt you. And I chose you in Christ to be holy and blameless in my sight. And there's never been one day where I've rejected you. I said yes to you from the beginning. And all you had to do was repent and put your yes to mine. I've loved you from the beginning. This is who I am and this is who you are to me. There's not been one moment of your life when you were not wanted. The enemy slipped in there and through relationships and misunderstanding and hurt and all the kind of stuff was trying to deceive me and getting me to believe that I was rejectable and to find my worth and value on what other people say and do and what they think of me. But he says, I've always wanted you from the very beginning. You know, we were singing that song tonight. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after you. There's two ways to hear that. One, he said, God is coming after you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man, you better get things ready. He's coming after you. And you know what? He really is. He's coming after you to arrest you, to arrest you with his love, to conquer your heart with his loving kindness. He's been pursuing you from the beginning. See, you didn't just get his attention the moment you walked into church. He's had his eye on you from the beginning. There's not been one moment of your existence where he wasn't aware of everything, good and bad in you. He saw it all from the beginning. There's nothing that we could hide from him. And he said, I want him. That's my boy. I don't care what it costs me. He said, I will do whatever it takes and I'll send my son to the cross. Stripped naked and beaten, ridiculed and mocked, spit upon his beard, ripped out. I'll do anything. 
I'll pay any price. And he paid the highest price to have his kids back into his embrace. That's our God. That's the heart of the Father. You've been chosen. So when I wake up tomorrow and somebody doesn't like something that was posted online, wow, jeez, wow. Okay, so they don't like something that was posted online, but the God of the universe has always, always loved me. I have the approval and acceptance of God Almighty. He's my Abba. Whoo! I am way more accepted than I've ever been rejected. He likes me. He delights in me. You may not like me. That's okay. I don't have to come back. You don't ever have to invite me back. It's okay. But he likes me. He really does. He delights in me. I'm his boy. Matter of fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm his favorite one. Amen. The good news is he's got lots of favorite ones. You're going to be a favorite one too. But I know that I am. He delights in me. Not because I have it all together. God knows that I don't. But I am in Christ. And he's wanted me from the beginning. He is an extravagantly gracious God. And he says, now I declare you righteous. I declare you holy. You're the righteousness of God. He places a robe of righteousness on you. Of perfect acceptance with the Father. And you might be going, yeah, but you don't know what I've been through and you don't know what I'm struggling with and you don't know the kind of day or the week that I've had. And that's okay, I don't have to know all that. But I know what the Father says. And what he says is bigger, more powerful than anything you've experienced. And his opinion outweighs every struggle you've had. So I just want to agree with Papa. I just want to agree with what my father says. That I'm a chosen one. Just say this with me, Father. I thank you that you chose me. Because you wanted me. Thank you. That there's never been a moment in my existence when I've not been wanted. You've wanted me from the beginning. Now I bless you to live in the revelation that you've always been wanted by a perfect father. And the love of God in Christ Jesus is bigger, greater, deeper than any rejection of man. And the final thing that Paul says about us is chosen, holy, and dearly loved. It's who you are. <sighs> Just dearly loved. Just dearly loved. Well, why does he love me? I don't know. He can't help himself. It's just who he is. You see, when God loves us, he's not trying to he's not trying to love us he 
is love. He just loves. It flows out of him because it is his nature. He's a perfect father who is perfect love. Who do you think God loves more? You or Jesus? Yeah. John 17, 23. Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. And he says, Father, I thank you that you have loved them with the same love with which you've loved me. I want you to think about that for a second. You've been adopted and placed in Christ, robed with his royal perfection, clothed with a robe of righteousness that gives you absolute perfect standing before a holy God. And then Jesus says, Father, I thank you. The exact same way that you've loved me, you love her just the same. God loves you the exact same way he loves Jesus, his only begotten son. I don't know about you, but I understand why he loves Jesus that way. Jesus never sinned once, perfectly obeyed the Father. In word, thought, deed, he said, I always do what pleases the Father. I don't know about you, but that's not been my track record. But I'm thankful for the divine exchange that we exchanged track records. He became sin of the cross with my sinfulness so that I could be righteous with his righteousness. And now God relates to me not based upon my performance, although what I do and my attitudes and actions are important, but he relates to me based on his beloved son, Jesus. And my identity's been wrapped in him my identity's intertwined with him because I'm in Christ in this covenant union where all that he has is mine and all that I am is his. When he died on the cross, he not only took my place as a sinner to take judgment for sin, he also took my identity. He became a condemned sinner so that I, in turn, could become a beloved son, clothed and wrapped in his righteousness. There is no difference between God's love for Jesus and his love for you. He's loved you from the beginning. It's who he is. He's so good. It says in Zephaniah, that he sings over us. Wouldn't you love to know what he's singing? Like if God the Father's gonna sing over you, what are the contents of his lyrics? A few years back, I was in the balcony of our church praying one morning, and the Lord said, Christopher, I want you to know something. I sing over you every single day, whether you're listening or not. 
even if you're not paying attention, it can't stop me from singing over you. It's the heart of the Father. It's who he is. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the blood that was shed for us. I thank you for the gift of righteousness. I thank you that we have not had to convince you of anything. There's not a one in this room who's had to convince you to try to love us. You've just been loving us with a holy, perfect, inexhaustible love from before the beginning. I feel like there's just this flow of the love of God coming into the room and his affections are aimed straight at your heart. And I just bless you to get in line with the hose that's pouring out the love of God. How great is your love, Lord. How great is your love, Lord. It reaches so high. It stretches so wide. How great is your love. <laughs> How great is your love, Lord. <laughs> How great is your love, Lord. It reaches so high, it stretches so wide. How great is your love. <laughs> Some of you, you've told God over the years, I don't deserve to be loved. Why would you love me? I'm going to encourage you to give up the argument and just let him love you. Because he always has. Whew. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence in this room right now. And Lord, I thank you that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has paved the way for us to come to the Father's banqueting table. There is, a, there is a feast that the Father has prepared for you from the very beginning and do not think that you're unworthy to sit at the Father's table. Jesus paid a high price for you to receive the full riches of, of your inheritance. There is a seat at the Father's table reserved for you. And he invites you to come boldly, as we sang before the throne of grace, to come into his presence with confidence and sit at the table of the king and there is a spiritual banquet that he invites you to. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good, even in the midst of your enemies. You get a feast on the Father's goodness. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence right now. And I ask that you just begin to rain down on us. Lord, I thank you. It's like I see like little 
rain clouds above people's heads beginning to open up and just rain down, rain down the Father's extravagant love. I bless you right now to just yield to him and let him love on you. Oh, he's a good, good, extravagant father. <laughs> if you want, you can just put your hands out before him. Whatever you need or want to do to posture your heart to receive from the Father. Woo! <laughs> oh, Jesus. How great is your love, Lord. How great is your love, Lord. Just take a drink of him right now. It reaches so high. It stretches so wide. How great is your love. Don't say you're unworthy. <laughs> He's adopted you because he wanted you. <laughs> oh, you, you have a happy papa. You have a happy papa. <laughs> How great is your love, Lord. Mm. How great is your love, Lord. It reaches so high. It stretches so wide. How great is your love. <laughs> you are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.